A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. To Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And we are up to part two in our mini series about Revarach Ber Leibowitz, Leibovich. And this entire series has been generously sponsored anonymously by a close family relation to Revarach Ber. Thank you. And you can be in touch with me about sponsorships and lectures, virtual tours, and the like. Part one went over well. We got a lot of uh, positive feedback, good feedback. Um, just share a couple. Um, this was my favorite. I had opened up the part one with a story from Rabash Rarieli that I heard from him about the Marsha and Rav Baruch Ber sharing the same yard site. And I had inadvertently said that the Marsha is the simple pshat in the interpretation of the Gemara. And I got a very strong complaint that the Marsha is far from simple, and it's very deep and very important, and I definitely did not mean to minimize the Marsha or his his commentary or anything. That definitely was not my intention. And and he's, he insisted that I, I clarify that it's anything but simple. But the main reason why I like this response was because um, the fellow who responded used the word haravanya, in, as in the context of you need a lot of haravanya to understand the marsha. And I haven't used the word haravanya in about uh, 10, 12, 13 years, and I was so excited to have the opportunity to say it again, and that's the primary reason I uh, related this feedback. Another one is a correction. Um Rav Baruch Ber actually went to the United States in 1928 to fundraise, not in 1929. And he did not stay for close to two years. He was there for 14 months. He was in America for about 14 months. So just to clarify that. Now we left off, before we get back to the story time with Rav Baruch Ber, we left off his life story. We've got, we'll do you know a little bit of life story each uh, part of this series and a little bit of stories about him in each part of this series. So we left off in Halusk, when he was the rabbi, and he had a yeshiva as well in Halusk. So in 1904, he gets the call 
to become a Rosh Yeshiva in Slabatka. And, and he, so he leaves Halusk and he comes to Slabatka and that's where he becomes famous because that's this yeshiva that was in Slabatka is the place where he remained for the rest of his life, though it was in many, many other places besides for Slabatka. When the, the background of this yeshiva was that there was a split in the Slabatka yeshiva. Um, it was, there was, uh, went in a couple of stages, but, um, but the altar of Slabatka, Mnasan Finkel, had founded this yeshiva in the 1880s. And the first, there was the anti-Musser revolt in 1897, and that caused a split in the yeshiva. And the Musser supporters, they named their new yeshiva Knesses Yisrael, which was named for Bisrael Salanter, the founder of the Musser movement. And the opposition, um, were, who remained in the, in the place where the original yeshiva was, they named their yeshiva Knesses Beis Yitzchak, Named for the recently passed, uh, passed away rabbi, famed rabbi of Kovner, of Yitzchak Elchanan Specter, and especially since his son, Rabbi Tzvirish Rabinovich, and the Slabatka Rav, Rabbi and other great rabbis in the Kovner Slabatka area supported the anti Musser faction and led the, the, you know, supported the revolt in the yeshiva, so they, they, you know, kind of, uh, you know, made it, made it their yeshiva, and they named it Knesses Beis Yitzchak after Abitzakal Hanan. And this is in 1897, and they, they went through a couple of uh, Russia yeshiva in their early years, and in 1904, they decided to invite um, Reb Baruch Berlebevich, whose, you know, non-Musser movement credentials were pretty strong. He had studied in the Valazhin yeshiva, which was a non-Musser yeshiva, and he was the perhaps the closest, or at least one of the closest students of Reb Chaim Brisker, who had an, a certain opposition to the Musser movement, and especially in incorporating it into the curriculum of the yeshiva world. And Reb Baruch Ber, therefore, was a, a, a perfect candidate to be the Rosh Yeshiva of the non-Musser, or anti-Musser, or however you want to phrase it, uh, yeshiva in Slabatka. So you have these two yeshivas uh, side by side, in Slabatka, you have the Musser Yeshiva of Reb Nassim Finkel, the Alter, with Reb Moshe Epstein as the Rosh Yeshiva, who's also a Valajaner and uh, a friend of Reb Baruch Ber, actually. And um, and and you have right right down the block, basically, uh, on the non-Musser Yeshiva of Reb Baruch Ber, um, who's appointed, who's appointed to be the the Rosh Yeshiva there. Now, Reb Baruch Ber's Shiurim, his 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 were legendary, and and uh, and the Slabatka Knesses Israel students would would want to go surreptitiously to go hear his shiurim because they were incredible. They were very popular, and they were you know very his style of learning and his method of explanation. And we'll talk more about his shiurim later on in this uh, in this uh, episode or in part three. I don't remember where, but. Um, and but they, they they would want to go hear it, and the and in fact the altar of Slabatka even encouraged it. Uh, he encouraged his students to go attend or Baruch Ber's shiurim. So the rivalry was between the two yeshivas was less, you know, it was less than it would seem to be because there was an exchange of students who would you know who would come from the Musi yeshiva to the non Musi yeshiva to hear Reb Baruch Ber's shiurim. Um, and it was also not only because Rabbi Rashiurim were so good, 
but also the altar felt maybe it would, perhaps it would be a way to infiltrate the Musar into the rival yeshiva by having his students hang around there, you know, officially just to be by Rabaruch Bershir, but maybe they would have an influence and somehow infiltrate. You know, the best example of that is what ultimately happens with Rebruvin Grzovsky. Rebruvin Grzovsky is one of the closest students of the Alter Slobodka. He's He was a son of Reb Shamshin Grzovsky, who was a rabbi in a suburb of Minsk. And he comes to study in Slobodka. He even brought other uh, yeshiva boys from Minsk, such as Rebaran Kutler and Reb Yaakov Kamenetsky, to come study, among others, to study in Slobodka. And so he's a real... On one hand, altar of Slobodka, Talmud, and Musser, and everything, but he was very much uh, affiliated with the Knesset Beisislik Yeshiva and got close with Rebarach Ber and listened to Shirm, and eventually Rebarach Ber has him become his son in law, and he marries Rebarach Ber's daughter, and eventually takes over the Yeshiva. He becomes the Rosh Yeshiva of the, what later becomes Kamenitz. It still was called Knesset Beisislik. Eventually, it was they settled in Kamenitz. Either way, so. So um, these were uh, the golden years of the yeshiva for everyone, for both Slabatkas, um, those that decade before World War One, and then World War One comes and ends it all. And the first place of exile they ended up was in Minsk. Baruch Ber and his yeshiva end up in exile in Minsk, where his rebbe, Reb Chaim Brisker, Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, happened to also be there in exile. He had left his rabbinate position in Brisk because of the war, and he was there, and therefore Reb Chaim. Brisker was invited to to deliver shiurim to to give her, to deliver classes in the yeshiva in his students' yeshiva. And this was like a dream come true for a baruch ber. His own rebbe, Reb Chaim, was giving shiurim in the yeshiva for a period of time. Now, uh, uh, Klebanski, Bentin Klebanski, has in his, in his book on the interwar yeshiva world has some great information about the travails of the common what eventually was called the Kamenitz yeshiva, the Knesset Beisilsk yeshiva. During and immediately after uh, World War One, and how they they first they end up in Kremenchuk in in the Ukraine. Ironically, the other Slabatki yeshiva was there too. So Knesset Yisrael and Knesset Beisir, it's like the two rival yeshivas in Slabatka, end up both going into exile to the same exact Ukrainian city into Kremenchuk. Happens to be there, Abarch Ber ended up there for probably as a result of a familial connection. Abarch Ber's father-in-law, if you remember, we mentioned in part one was the uh, Rav Romitzik Zimmerman, was a, a rabbi of, of the non-Hasidic community in, uh, in Kremenchuk, and he passed away. And the, it seems that, they, uh, that the community, this, this non-Hasidic kahila within the, the mainly Hasidic uh, community of, of Kremenchuk, so they, this faction invited his son-in-law, Baruch Ber, to take the rabbinical position, again, to be a community rabbi. Um, in Kremenchuk, so he brings his yeshiva with him, and he becomes the rabbi. So he's offici- he's serving as the rabbi of the community during World War One. Either way, he stays there. Right at the end of World War One, at the beginning of nineteen, uh, end of World War One, it was a few years after World War One. In nineteen twenty-one, Rebruvin Grzovsky, who was already the son-in-law of Rebaruch Ber for a few years, he leaves with the yeshiva, with whatever's remaining of the yeshiva, with about. 85 students. That was the entire Knesset based Sizchuk in 1921. And he goes to Vilna. Um, and they had to stay in Vilna because they were unable to return to Slobodka because of the Poland-Lithuania war. And eventually Poland takes Vilna. And, and Slobodka, which is next to Kovna, is, is on the other side of the border. So they're unable to return to their home in Slobodka. Right? The other, the other Knesset Yisrael, the other Slobodka had gone there earlier and they had made it in time. But the borders were changing all the time. There are wars going on. 
and therefore Knesset Beitzislik with Reb Ruvain, Grozovsky at its head, was unable to go, and they're stuck in Vilna. Now, as it happens, Reb Baruch Ber wasn't even with them. Reb Baruch Ber remained as the rabbi of the community in Kremenshuk. Um, so Reb Ruvain is in charge. They set up the yeshiva in the Ramilis uh, courtyard. There was a cloise there near the Ramilis yeshiva itself. And they, they set up the yeshiva in temporary quarters. Now, Reb Ber, in the meantime, his new son-in-law, his young new son-in-law, Reb Meisha Bernstein, who eventually was also played a pro- prominent role in Kamenitz history, he convinces Reb Ber to rejoin the yeshiva. So half a year after Reb Ruvain arrives in Vilna with the yeshiva, Reb Ber leaves Ukraine, goes to Minsk, and he eventually rejoins the yeshiva in the summer, uh, in the spring-summer of 1921. Now, in the summer of 1921, the Mir, who had also been stuck in Vilna after their exile in, in Russia and in, in Ukraine, Poltava. So the Mir is able to return home to the town of Mir. So Knesset Beis Yitzchak takes over the Beis Medrish in the Lukashuk suburb of Vilna where, where the Mir had been. And now the Knesset Beis Yitzchak yeshiva settles down there. So now they have a place to be and they establish their yeshiva in, in Vilna, in the suburb of Vilna. And now Baruch Ber is back or Bruvain is there and it's, essentially they could start rebuilding. By this time, the yeshiva had, was very small. It had shrunk to being about, you know, just a few tens of students. And they start fundraising. The yeshiva was in dire financial straits. They start fundraising in Vilna. They get some money from the Central Relief. Or Chaim Eisergrajensky helps them out. There's a women's organization in Vilna that tries to fundraise for the Knesset Beis Yitzhak. Then, interestingly enough, the Kehila, the Jewish community of Vilna, appoints Rabarach Ber to be a member of the Vilna Rabbinate as a Paisik, as a Moira Hara, as a someone who is a Paisik, uh, one of the many rabbis who officiated in the city, as someone who would, uh, uh, you know, deal with the halachic uh, questions in the city. And, and he, they figured that this would garner support because it's now a Vilna yeshiva, and Rabarach Ber is part of the Vilna community. So again, Rabarach Ber had been a rabbi in Halusk. He was a rabbi in Kremenchuk, and now he was kind of like a semi-rabbi, one of the members of the great uh, Vilna Rabbin. There was no official uh, question. The Vilna Rabbin is definitely a, an episode for itself, although we'll get to it one day. But it, talking about a member of the Vilna Rabbin in a very general sense. By 1924, the yeshiva had 74 students. And uh, Rabbi Ber wanted to move out of Vilna um, both to get a better yeshiva atmosphere. Vilna was not a conducive uh, atmosphere for a yeshiva. And, uh, and also because of the cost of living, actually. There was a, Vilna was a major city. And the cost of living, like in any big city that we know of today, so it's the same thing then. The rent and the cost of food was expensive in the big city, and it would be cheaper in, in a small town. So for those two reasons, he wanted to move out to a small town. The yeshiva was financially struggling. You have to understand that Vilna at that time was... Not the most religious place, to say the least, even though we think of Vilna as the Yerushalayim, the Litta, and a very holy place. But by the interwar period, it was very much not like that at all. Just to give you one example, uh, the famed uh, Mashgiach of Baranovich, the son-in-law of the altar of Novartic, Rabbi Yisrael Yankov Lubchansky, he, uh, he was also the rabbi in Baranovich for a period of time, and he would encourage the store owners in Baranovich to close their stores for Shabbos. And one time, uh, someone uh, kept his store open, so they made kind of like a hafkana, like a demonstration, and Rabbi Selyankov Lubchansky led it. And what did he say? And this comes from Leo Baron, who was learning and studying in Baranovich at the time. This is his testimony. He was apparently an eyewitness to this. He said, um, he said uh, that Rabbi Selyankov Lubchansky said 
Do you think this is Vilna, that you could keep your store on Shabbos? This is Baranovich. We don't keep stores open on Shabbos here. That's a, apparently, unfortunately, the reputation that Vilna had at the time. Uh, you know, just one example. Um, so, that was, you know, not, not a great atmosphere for a yeshiva like Rebarach Baruch Baruch. So they, he tries to you know, put feelers out to try to find a smaller town. And the Kamenets made an offer. And the Chavetz Chaim actually advised Rebarach Baruch to take the offer. And the Chavetz Chaim backed up that advice. You know, the Chavetz Chaim was always a man of action, not just of words. And the Chavetz Chaim backed up his advice by writing a letter of support for Rebarach Baruch and the yeshiva and mailing it to people and trying to fundraise for the yeshiva. Can you believe Chavetz Chaim is, at this time, in the mid-1920s, fundraising for, for Kamenets, uh, you know, to help them reestablish themselves. Um, so they had spent six years in Vilna, right? Close to six years. In 1926, the end of 1926, they moved to Kamenets after they had been in Vilna for all those years. Now, some students left during the move, and the yeshiva now was, had shrunk to 85 Talmud. They had grown over the last few years, and now again, they, they had a setback because of the move, and they had, were now at 85 students. They go down to Kamenets, which is a small little town not far from Brisk, actually, and now Rebarach uh, Ber's other son-in-law, Reb Yitzchak Turetz, he goes to the Mir, and he convinces Reb Yudel Finkel of the Mir Yeshiva to send some of the top students from the Mir to help support the new Yeshiva in Kamenetz. So, so the nine, nine mirrors, nine students from the Mir were dispatched by Reb Yudel, who was always seeking to help support Torah wherever it was, and the Yeshiva begins to grow and flourish, but they're only flourishing as far as student growth and as far as the great uh, Torah that's being taught the Baruch Berba. Financially, they were very much uh, struggling. So this, um, the debt piled up, and eventually Baruch Ber and Rebruvain Grzovsky, his son-in-law, who was running the yeshiva essentially at that time, had to travel to the United States. And at this point, we'll leave off here in his life story. We'll return to the golden age of the yeshiva, the 13 years that the yeshiva spent in Kamenetz. Today, until today, it's known as the Kamenetz yeshiva was only in Kamenetz for 13 years. But that's the, that's the uh, name that, that, that history has bestowed upon it until it actually returned to Vilna, ironically, which that we'll, we'll discuss in, in part three. So get, getting back to actually the personality of, of Rebarach Ber and, and who he was, there's, there's, um, I mentioned now that he had, he had gone to the United States. There's a story that they say about him that for sure never happened, but, but there's other details about it that might have actually, yes, happened, about him meeting his, his old uh, buddy Chaim Nachman Bialik from Valozhin and meeting him in the United States. Um, and, and, and the way the story is printed, the way, where I saw it, is, is that, that he, Rebarch Ber did not want to meet him, and, and Bialik insisted, and, and Rebarch Ber eventually uh, agreed, but under some draconian conditions that he wouldn't look at him and he's not allowed to speak and, and a whole bunch of conditions. And incredibly enough, Bialik agreed to, to, to come and meet him and, and Rebarach Ber said something to him in very, you know, derisive, you know, manner about his lifestyle and, and said, you know, we used to study together in Valajan and look what happened to you, blah, 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 whatever, yada, 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 yada. And, um, and, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, he's kind of like airing his grievances. I don't know if it was, it was, uh, it was Festivus or not, but he's airing his grievances. And, 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 uh, the story probably never happened. Um, and, uh, because Bialik probably would not have, uh, I mean, I can't, it's hard to believe that he would come, he would have come, he would have insisted on meeting him and 
even come under those conditions. But there is something else about the story that's important to uh, to emphasize. There's a saying that's attributed to Baruch Ber that probably is true that uh, that he that Baruch Ber whenever he would say in in his shir whenever he would say anyone uh, in Amoira's name someone from the Gemara a Rishain the Rashba the Rush the Ramban an Achrain anyone anyone who Baruch Ber was quoting he would always say Der Helige the Holy One Der Helige Ramban Der Helige Rashba Der Helige Abaya Der Helige Rava Everything was Halig, and, and Rebbe lived it. When he expressed it, it, was, it felt very real. So one time Rebbe said, you know, Bialik and his people like him, they know where the Halig Abaye is gestorben, where he died, where he passed away. Because they know, they know like to know Jewish history and tradition and stuff like that. But he said, I know where Abaye still lives and lives on. And still has an impact and an influence, and that's that says a lot about um, his outlook and, and what he believed. Now, um, and interestingly enough, um, Baruch Ber, when Ramayshu Danashevsky, the Slabatker Rav, who was the the patron of the yeshiva in in Knesses Beis Yitzchak in, in, in Slabatka, you know, when Baruch Ber was hired, when he passed away, so they they thought it would be naturally the rabbinate of Slabatka would be given. To Rebarch Ber. He would succeed, Rabbi Danashevsky, who was affiliated with the yeshiva. So he would succeed him in the rabbinate. And, uh, and, uh, in fact, um, Rebarch Ber insisted that his friend from Valazhin, who was the Rosh Yeshiva of the rival yeshiva, Rabbi Shemotcha Epstein, he should get it. And actually, that's what happened. So he gave up on the rabbinate and, and, and willingly gave it over to Rabbi Shemotcha Epstein, um, so that he should get the rabbinate uh, in Valazhin. One time, um, Rabbi gave smicha. He bestowed rabbinical ordination to a student who was not really ready. He wasn't really ready for smicha. So why did he give him smicha? He said, Rabbi said that his parents are divorced and it would be very meaningful for the father if his son is called harav, if his son is officially a rabbi. Today everyone's called harav, so it's not so meaningful. But um, but in those days, you know, you got smicha from Rabbi you could be called harav. And... Uh, and therefore, it would be very meaningful for the father. And, and he, he cared for, he was like a father to his students. He was very, very close to them, very fatherly to them. And he used to invite them over for Shabbos meals. And he had a very, very close relationship, a loving relationship with his students. So here, he took care of him and you know, he gave him smich, even though he wasn't ready to help, you know, give happiness to the father. Um, one time, um, Rabbi Chaber, with another old friend of his from Valazhan, Rabbi Zalman Meltzer, they were discussing some... Talmudic topic, something in learning, and um, and they were as as the nature of things. They each had a different interpretation, a different pshat. And Rabbi Sizalman, after you know de- debating the topic for quite some time, Rabbi Sizalman thought for a minute and said, "I think I think my pshat is better. I'm, I think it's better proofs, and it's clearer, and it fits better into the words of the Rambam. My pshat is is the correct pshat." Listen to this. Rebaruch Ber went ahead and relayed over, when it came up to that time in his shir, in the yeshiva, he said over this question that they had, and he said over the pshat that he said, and then he quoted, he cited the pshat that his friend, Rebbe Zalman, said, and then he says as follows, and he says, but the true pshat is Rebbe Zalman's, not mine. You know how I know? Because he told me. In other words, the, the, by, you're talking about someone, you know, they, these people, great people, they, there's no 
personal involvement there. It's only about the truth and the pure truth. And if Rabbi Zalman said that his was the correct shot, it's not because Rabbi Zalman felt it was better. It's because it really is the true shot, and that's how Rabbi Bar said it. In in discuss in talking about actually his shear, and Rabbi Bar said that he learned from his Rabbi Reb Chaim. Uh, more about what not to say in the shear than what to yes say. In other words, the the wisdom of an educator, the 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 uh, the genius of an educator is to decide what not to say, what not to deliver as part of the shear. Um, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky and others who had heard shiurim from Rabbi Baruch Ber, they said that the shiurim of Rabbi Baruch Ber were super clear. They were extremely crystal clear. Unlike uh, the printed word of Baruch Ber, which many many have difficulty understanding and, and, and understand, you know, interpreting what he what he means, and it takes a lot of time and effort to expend on the words of Baruch Ber and the printed svarim of Birkas Shmuel. So in, in his shiurim that people heard, um, they, uh, they were very very clear, and it was known to be clear, and that, that could you know he he actually he prepared. I'm going to speak about his svarim later on, probably in part three. He prepared his the first volume for publication. Um, the other ones, he had notes, he had notebooks, he had written, but he didn't fully edit it for publication, so they remained unclear. But the actual shear was very, very clear, and they were known for his clarity. Um, so, uh, so the the um, interestingly enough about his uh, sefer. So another story from Rabbi Shariyeli. I. I I heard this. I heard this from him. Um, he said he once uh, said to me. He said, gehert." I heard that in America, they uplearn in They interpret every word. They're medayik. They they study every word of Rabarch Ber's uh, sefer just like they would a rishin, much earlier commentator like the Rashba or the Ramban. And then he says, he turns to me and says, "Episamodna derech It's a strange way of learning. That's the intent, intensive study of Rebbe Ber's words in the Birkas Shmuel. He, he didn't seem to to identify with that too strong. Either way, so um, so what happens is, so so one, one time uh, there was a a a boy in the yeshiva who needed a coat. He was cold. He was catching pneumonia, whatever it was. He was too poor to buy a coat. So Baruch Ber gave his warm fur coat to him. And someone said, why are you giving your own fur coat to this boy? And then the Baruch Ber, in his great modesty, he said, he studies Tyra, and I study Tyra. He's no different from me. So he needs a coat, so he'll be able to study Tyra more. There's no difference between me and him. One time he came home from um, shul, when he, or yeshiva, whatever it was, and he saw in his own home, that they had a clay ovens in the cold Russian Polish winters. So there was a worker fixing the oven. His wife had apparently ordered a, a worker to fix the oven. Now the worker was underneath the oven. So he didn't see who it was. And he assumed that it was a Polish worker. So he was a polite person, or Baruch Ber. So he, he, he addressed him and he said, Jindombre, good morning. How are you? Good day. And then the person came, you know, responded in Yiddish. Um, good morning, Rebbe. Uh, you know, he recognized that it was a Baruch Ber. And he realized that it was a Jewish worker. And then he felt terrible. It means he assumed that someone who was really Jewish, he had assumed that he was non-Jewish. So he literally started begging his forgiveness. He said, how could I have uh, assumed that someone who's 
uh, I, I treated you as if you were a non-Jew. He was horrified by the thought that he had treated a fellow Jew as a non-Jew. He gives, he gave a bar mitzvah present to each one of his grandchildren. What was the bar mitzvah present he gave? He gave a kiss, and he gave a blessing, and he gave advice. And the advice was, cry by the bracha of atachaynein la'adam das in Shemana Esrei. And to, to ask Hashem to have das, to use the wisdom. The goal, he said, the goal of all my Torah, the goal of all the Torah I give over, is not chidushim, is not to say novel interpretations, it's just to get a bissel of pshat, a little bit of pshat, of the true understanding of the text. You know, when he attended the wedding of one of the sons of Reb Yudel Finkel, unfortunately he was the only son of Reb Yudel Finkel who was killed by the Nazis, Reb Avram Meir Finkel, who was uh, marrying into, into Reb Chaim Brisker's family, it was his, Reb Baruch Rebbe's family, Reb Chaim Brisker had a daughter who was married to Reb Hirsch Glickson, who had a yeshiva in Warsaw, the Teres Chaim Yeshiva. And the Glicksons and, and, and this Reb Rameir Finkel and their entire families, their wives, their children, everyone, they were all killed in Treblinka in, in, during the Holocaust from the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, so at this wedding, uh, Reb Rameir Finkel's Reb Baruch Ber attended, and it was time for him to leave. And the band was playing a song about the Beis HaMikdash. Some, I mean, HaMikdash. I'm not sure which song it was. But either way, it was a song about the Beis HaMikdash. And Rebarach Ber didn't leave. He kept standing there. And his attendant said, I thought it's time for you to leave. And he said, how can I leave when they're singing a song about the Beis HaMikdash? So we'll end off here, part two. And we will get back to many, many more stories about Rebarach Ber, his life and his times in part three, so stay tuned. This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, lectures, virtual tours, sponsorships. Um, subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at Soundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.